Welcome to the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. And if you've watched our show or listened to our show, you know I talk a lot about change, a lot about evolving your company, growing your business, how do you have to adapt and change. And I think if you've listened enough to, you know I'm passionate about our industry. So it's really great when I can find somebody that's gone through this road, not only one generation, but six generations in a business, in our industry, and someone that has a ton of passion, probably more passion than even I have for our industry. And I'm just glad to have him on the show. We're going to talk about a lot of different things here. So I'm going to welcome Mike Betts with Betts Company. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thanks for having me, Tyler. Great to see you. Um, you know, we're uh, really excited to be part of this, you know, venture that you're doing. It's really great how you're sharing these stories with our industry. Well, I got to know you the last couple years because you invited me on the Sold panel, which takes place at HDAW, and it's been great to, to listen and hear you. And I think I've gotten to learn a little bit about your company and everything. But what I didn't know, I, I'd always kind of known Bet's company because I sold parts. I knew Bet's mud flap hangers and brackets, that type of thing. Uh, but I didn't know all you did, and I didn't know the history. And this is a story that actually, with your company, starts back at the 1800s. Can, can you just kind of give us a, a rundown of a history and, and what you guys do today. Yeah, so our founder of our business came to the United States in 1863 from England. And he originally settled in St. Louis and opened a blacksmithing shop, manufacturing springs for horse carriages. And those would be leaf springs back in those days. And he saw during the Civil War that there was a movement west. And so he and his brother decided to move to San Francisco. He took his equipment down the Mississippi to the port of New Orleans, around South America, up to San Francisco, and Bet's company, uh, Bet's Spring Company at that time, became the pioneer spring maker in the United States, west of the Mississippi River. Today, we're celebrating 155 years of sixth-generation family business serving primarily the transportation industry in North America. So I know people today talk about all these changes going on in the world, electrification, robots driving vehicles. Uh, we got the whole Ukraine, Russia thing going on right now in COVID. But I mean, your company's been around through world wars, through bad times, through good times. What was it like growing up in a family business like that? I grew up in a family business. So I know what my upbringing was like. It was it kind of like, hey, you're this is the family business and they had you involved right from day one and, and you hung out with the family. Is that, is that how it went with you or how did it, how was it for you yeah. growing up? Uh, very, very much so. And that was the same with my father. Um, you know, he worked for his grandmother who raised him. So he lost his dad before he was born. We have a lot of stories like this where people had to do remarkable things. And that's where we get our strength is all these amazing stories. My great grandmother who raised my dad, lost her husband and two sons and um, commuted via the ferry boats from Berkeley, California to downtown San Francisco through the Great Depression and World War II. She ran our business, which is basically a steel fabrication business with furnaces and you know all sorts of, we, we weren't using natural gas back in those days. We we're one of the Pacific Gas and Electric's first customers for natural gas in San Francisco uh, in the 1950s. So um, anyway, she 
She got us through those really difficult times. She was referred to in San Francisco folklore as the Iron Lady before Maggie Thatcher. And, but she was a lovely lady and the workers just admired her. And uh, thank, you know, and honestly, we uh, had very difficult time during the war. We had to shift all our production uh, to the military. And to this day, you know, we serve the defense industry. We serve, you know, heavy truck OEM production. We serve aftermarket production, um, a lot of different markets. Uh, we manufacture all types of springs, a, a, a large segment of uh, suspension springs, you name it, that we manufacture for all the different niche markets, the performance, raising, lowering, uh, racing, uh, all, all sorts of different markets. And then, as you said earlier, uh, spray suppression products, fenders, plastic, steel, quarter fenders, half full, mud flap hangers of all types and shapes, and then conspicuity solutions for safety and other safety related products. And then we have our eight locations where we have bets, truck parts and service throughout uh, California and then Oregon and Arizona. Yeah, so how is that? I mean, that's two totally different businesses, right? You got your manufacturing side over there and you're dealing aftermarket and OEMs, I'm assuming. And then you get the whole repair side of it. So you see them afterwards as well. Uh, is that two totally different business segments inside your business with different people? Or how do you guys organize that? And how do you, you know, split your time up? That's going to be the other challenge dealing with two different business units. Right. Well, we have three business units. One would be the truck parts and service. And then the two manufacturing, which is BETS Spring Manufacturing, and then BETS HD, HD standing for heavy duty, for the spray suppression products, mud flap hangers and fenders and all that. We have three manufacturing plants, two actually right next door to each other in Fresno, and then one in Canfield, Ohio, that does the manufacturing. And then again, our uh, truck parts locations in the West. So how long have you been having the reins over here at, at Betts? Uh, obviously you've been working there probably since you were a kid, but how long ago was it they kind of said, Hey Mike, you're the you're the new CEO. This is your this is your baby now. Don't screw up our family history. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, for 155 years, uh, it's always been a bets at the helm, and it's always been a bets ownership, and it has passed down from generation to generation. So today, I serve as chairman and CEO, and my son Bill Betts is our president, and he's been in that role now for four years, doing a fantastic job. And then we have two nephews. I have two nephews and he has two cousins that work uh, intimately in the business as well. One runs two manufacturing plants and the other um, is in charge of sales for the truck parts and service business. So we're still very, very much a family business. My brother-in-law and I, uh, Don Devaney, were together for uh, 40 years. Don retired a few years ago. And then my dad and I worked together for 50 years. So um, my dad retired about 15 years ago. So um, it's just, you know, and then before my dad, it was his uncle, his grandmother, you know, uh, grandmother's husband, all bets. And then, you know, all the way to our founder back in 1868. Man, you, you just don't hear stories like this anymore, right? Because now the, the, the common story here is someone builds something, then they go sell it. <laughs> and, then, and then that's kind of the end of it. And some big company owns it. So very impressive 
uh, just to see that. And it sounds like you got the seventh generation kind of already lined up there right behind you, which, which is awesome. So that's a, that's a great thing you have going on there. Um, so, you know, when I met you last year, I remember uh, EOS. You had gotten involved with EOS and your company was doing that. Have you found that even though your company's been around for so long, is it still the constant evolution and changing of your business and how you do things and the processes? Can you talk a little bit about some of your journey into that? Sure. You know, Tyler, I think everything starts out with core values. Do you have the right core values in your to run your business? And when you hire people, do they do those core values fit who they are? And when you have a, a good culture and those core values that people aspire to live to, um, not only at the company while they're here, but at home and in the community. And those are the types of people that we look to hire. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, what is the skill set? That's really important. But it's also who who is the individual and what's the fit. And so uh, we spend a lot of time on that here. And you mentioned EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. We're uh, probably six years into that now. And EOS has been an absolute game changer because it really makes, you know, the accountability with everybody on the team uh, very visual. And it's, it's a communication tool. And it makes communicating easier because there's process. And if you adopt it and, and practice it, it makes everybody's life easier. It makes everyone more aware. The communication is much, much better. And um, you know you become a better company. So yeah, we just continue to evolve year over year. We're a continuous improvement organization. And um, you know it's, we're not a top-down company. Most of the ideas come from our team members. Well, talking about team members, I have to ask this question too. I'm a business owner, CEO. You're a business owner, CEO. I know what it's like trying to hire people right now. There's 11 million jobs open in the U.S. Some roles are getting really hard to fill. How's it for you out in California? Are you are you guys able to find people? I mean, retaining them is one thing, but surely you lose people or add roles. How is it looking out there on, on the West Coast? Yeah, so I mean, again, we, we've had to adapt. Um, you know, we moved from the San Francisco area across the bay to uh, San Leandro, which, which is near Oakland, uh, 1973. And then uh, in 1988, we built our first plant 180 miles into the Central Valley right here in Fresno. And then, you know, we got a taste of what the Central Valley was like, and it was very different. The commutes are very short. We manufacture indoors. So we had a huge pool of uh, labor that loves to work with their hands and they're mechanically inclined with agriculture because that's the big segment of our marketplace here in, in the Valley is we produce about 60% of the nation's fruits and vegetables. And so, um, you know, people love to come and work here and work with their hands and then learn how to operate the machinery and, you know, move forward. So then in 19, uh, in 2007, actually, we moved our spring plant, and our headquarters here. So we don't have manufacturing operations in San Leandro anymore. It's here in Fresno and in Ohio. We do have a truck parts and service location in San Leandro still as part of our Betts truck parts footprint. But the labor situation was the reason we came here because there's an abundance of labor 
people that are mechanically inclined. If you're working in ag, for whatever reason, you, you know how to fix things. You know how to fix your car. You know, you're mechanically inclined. You fix things at home. Why? Because you have to. And so those are the kind of people that we gravitate to, people that, you know, love to make things and produce. And so that's been great. But with the pandemic, with, uh, you know, labor law changes and stuff, California is a pretty uh, difficult place to do business. And you have to adapt to so many different things. And during the pandemic, of course, uh, we were very fortunate that we were uh, viewed essential business because of the work we do for national defense and the transportation industry. We never had to shut down, but we had a lot of COVID and um, here in the Central Valley. And uh, we had to manage through that, meet all the requirements of masking and, and um, you know, boosting and, you know, vaccinations and all of that. And, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, last week we had zero COVID in our business. So um, it looks like we may, you know, have crested and, uh, you know, we're back to business. But when you have people off, um, you know, what do you do? You know, and our, our on-time delivery for 10 years running was better than 98.5%. And uh, during the pandemic, uh, it dropped as low as 70%. So dramatic shift. And, uh, you know, we went to a 24 hour, seven day a week operation uh, with people, you know, on multiple shifts and working tons of overtime so that we could, you know, do the best we possibly could to take care of our customers. And now, you know, we got people back to work um, in California, not only, uh, you know, we had the big stimulus monies that the Fed did, but in California had additional stimulus money that they gave people and really incentivized people in many ways not to work because, um, you know, they could earn a lot of money with all this. So as those things have gone away, those monies have gone away, uh, people are back to work as well. Yeah, my uh, I got some family in northern Minnesota, and between the state unemployment and the federal unemployment, they were getting something like a thousand dollars a week to sit at home and not work. So it was it was making it difficult to get people to come back to work when they were you know doing pretty well, not having to work. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely interesting times, and I I think you're kind of bringing up supply chain here a little bit too, right? Because I think it starts with like the end user. Why can't I get? I see this every day on Facebook posts and LinkedIn. Why can't I get XYZ parts? What's the problem? Why are they out of them? And it goes back to, well, manufacturers like yourselves. You're trying to build things, but you're having COVID issues. And I'm assuming you need raw goods and materials to come in as well. So like on the manufacturing side, I guess you have the manufacturing side and you got your, your retail stores doing repair work. How are you guys, what are you seeing out there for supply chain? Are you guys having problems sourcing the things you need to get things here? Or is it logistics and moving things around? Where's the big bottlenecks that you're currently seeing? Well, I think um, there's a lot of issues still regarding supply chain. Um, we've seen a lot of consolidation on steel plants in North America. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of additional capacity come online. So we don't really know what that means yet. Because when you see consolidation, you think price increases. And of course, you know, the cost of steel has gone up anywhere from 30 to 40% over this three year period. And we're starting to see it come back down. But with all the consolidations and everything, 
you know, I'm leaning towards the prices are probably going to remain high until more capacity comes online. And then with uh, the supply chain issues with the ships from uh, Asia um, being, you know, it would take uh, a, a typical order uh, maximum 90 days from the time you place the order to receive the product to uh, six months to nine months in many cases. And then the cost of a container uh, went from as low as $1,500,000 three years ago, as high as $25,000. And we're starting to see uh, those numbers come down. You heard last night, uh, President Biden speak out to what happened with the shipping industry and the consolidation of the shipping industry and how they just jacked up the prices and took horrible advantage of uh, the world with these ridiculous prices of, uh, you know, no justification to raise your price from 3000 to $25,000 a container. So that's, you know, made a lot of us look at things differently. But Tyler, we still have a lot of products that we have to import because this country sent so much manufacturing offshore. And if we're really gonna be serious about bringing manufacturing back, we need to bring entire industries back. For example, castings, small, medium, and large castings. A lot of cast products are used on heavy truck. And we don't have that many casting companies here. We don't have that capacity. And you know, we talk about, well, we wanna be the greenest and best air quality, la la la. But in reality, we set those industries overseas where they don't produce to the level of quality in regards to the environment that we do here. Yep. So, you know, we got to figure out how we can bring these industries back and keep them competitive. On a lot of the steel products we use, uh, high tensile uh, materials, high quality steel, and we don't have the type of billets here in America uh, as the Japanese do, for example to make this high quality steel that we need to get. So Japan makes a large segment of the billets that are shipped around Asia to the other companies that are producing the steel. And so those are reasons why in many cases you get certain types of steel from Asia steel. We're seeing more of those higher quality steels becoming available in the US, but not fast enough. So um, to, I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of comments that I got there. I mean, number one, yeah, the whole shipping thing. I saw the State of the Union address. Um, you know, I think that company came out a couple of weeks ago and said they made something like $20 billion in profit or something last. It was just, it was an eye-popping number. I don't remember the exact number, but it was just unimaginable how much profit they generated. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of, I think it's like everything else. And there's a problem. There's a lot of little things that cause that, that all kind of conjoin at one point in time to cause a problem like we have today. And we're seeing the same thing. We manufacture overseas cables and, and other little things. We tried to bring that back over here and we're struggling to find someone that can even do it or wants to do it. So it, it's, right. it, it's a difficult thing. And I think if audiences listen to this, these are two CEOs of a company talking here saying, man, we would love to do more here. But it's just not possible during with the, the current climate and everything. Um, and the other, I think, interesting just in climate is you're in California. I think all of us outsiders of California look at it and be like, man, that's a horrible place to do business. So much re restraint. It's not business friendly and all these things. 
but it sounds like when I was talking to you earlier, different pockets of California are kind of a little bit different. Was that a big part of the reason you guys kind of moved to where you decided to move to? Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the, the Central Valley is very conservative. Um, you know, people, uh, many, many family businesses and people, you know, work hard, uh, kind of the old school way I was raised, my dad was raised. And um, our workers just love to come to work every day and they love what they do. Uh, we have short commutes, we have good schools. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, go to church in this community and uh, good family values. And then this, the career technical education is really the, maybe on the pinnacle of why we came. We started investing in the Central Valley when the rest of the nation was de-investing in career tech. You know, you go back into the 90s and programs were closing all over the country. Everybody was gonna go to college and get a four-year degree. Well, that's not the reality of what took place and what's happening. And what we did here is we began to invest heavily in career tech. So in the last 30 plus years, we have world-class career technical education in just about every aspect of industry. And that's our pipeline for next generation talent. These kids or young people are going to these schools, some of which are four year high school programs in manu everything, manufacturing, heavy truck, you name it, um, they cover it. And so, and then we also have it in the community colleges and then at the university level, you know, of course, engineering and research and innovation. So it's a great place uh, to do business we're very connected to our community in multiple ways. We invest heavily in our career tech ed programs. And we have interns working here via all the programs pretty much on an annual uh, year-round basis. So at the end of last season, I did an episode with Eric Rubio, who obviously you know and everything. And I didn't realize before I really started talking to Eric, I kind of knew you knew Eric. I didn't know you actually were a part of helping get that thing going. And I know Betts is involved with it as well. Can you explain a little bit, like, when did you guys get involved and, and kind of why did you guys get involved with that program? Which is a great program that Eric's got going on, by the way. If, if listeners aren't aware, um, it's it's a great program for high schoolers to get them involved in the trades and skills. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to sound overly braggadocious about our uh, heavy truck programs we have here. But if you go back six years ago, we had zero. And today we have five, uh, three of which are at high schools and two of which are at the community colleges. And what we did was we brought the need to the schools. And when I say we, I mean industry. So, you know, yes, our company led an initiative and we gathered other people, dealers, and independents and trucking companies. And we met with the superintendents of schools and, you know, it would, and especially around the CTE programs and hey, look at, we have a huge need. We go to these programs at TMC, we go to heavy duty aftermarket week, and we've been hearing for years about the technician shortage and people weren't addressing it, you know? And so of course we had Universal Technical Institute, and Wyotech, I don't think Wyotech's in business anymore, but you know, we have built five programs. And the reason that we were able to do it is we collaborated and we built trusting relationships with the high school and the community colleges. And these are world-class programs. Duncan Polytech 
if you go online and look at Duncan Polytech heavy truck, uh, you will be blown away by what we have. And of course, you know, every program is only as good as the instructor and we have amazing instructors. And Eric Rubio is a guy that just goes above and beyond what a typical uh, instructor would do to run a program. It's, it's his lifeblood. He so enjoys what he's doing and every kid is important to him and his program. So I talked to so many people that do exactly what you said. You go to the meetings, they complain about it, they talk about it. Everyone's not happy about the current you know situation. Can't find diesel techs, can't find carpenters, can't find all these skilled trades, right? And at the end of the day, they need to do what you did, right? They need to get involved in the community, rally up other like-minded business owners and businesses and put forth. Is, is that the strategy you'd recommend for listeners or watchers that are listening to this saying, man, I got that problem and we need a solution and I don't know what to do. Like what, what advice would you give them to get going? Well, you know, we, uh, I would encourage them to find the sold video, a service opportunity learning day uh, program that we put on in Grapevine, Texas at heavy duty aftermarket week in 2022, or I guess it was 21. It was, uh, it was, it was 22. Yeah. Yep. And um, it was a great program. Why? We, we, we said we were bringing the dream, dream team from Fresno to Texas. And what we meant by that is we were bringing all the people that really helped make the program happen or programs. So we had folks from the high schools, we had instructors from the programs, and then we had uh, deans uh, from the programs at the community colleges, and then we had George Aarons from ASE, Automa Automotive Service Excellence. And, um, and George was huge in relationship to helping us with the curriculum. And if you don't have the right curriculum, you know, then you're, you're, you've got a problem. So learning what, you know, Universal Institute was doing and other people were doing around the country, George helped us with that a lot. And then Eric actually came from UTI over in Arizona. He, came, he had worked in the industry for the city of Glendale. He had worked for UTI and, you know, got a lot of experience and knowledge to be an instructor. And so we, you know, we put all this together and then we got our industry uh, partners to help Eric with his first advisory. I think today Eric's advisory is probably over 20 different companies that come on a regular basis three or four times a year to Duncan to hold the advisory meetings. And the advisory is the total most important thing once you, you know, to get a program built, you got to have the industry support. You have to have industry champions. And then you have to put the right people together from the districts that you're working with. And so we were very fortunate. It was almost like the, the stars just aligned and we were able to uh, build these programs. And we've done the same thing with manufacturing programs. So this area um, is a great great place. We don't have the pipeline problems that you hear around the country. Well, Mike, I love what you're doing. Obviously, you're growing a business that has multiple businesses. 
you're actively involved in the community. You're trying to, I mean, just think of it this way. How many people's lives are better off because you get involved in helping build these things and do these things? So it's probably uncalculable, but um, that's what the industry, our industry needs more of. Like what you guys have going on in Fresno needs to happen in other cities and other regions of the country. And I hope people get away with this. Like it's a totally doable thing. There's a blueprint out there. There's people that have done it. And I think more than anything else, everyone I've talked to that's been involved in this, what you do out in Fresno, wants to help. <laughs> They're basically standing there saying, man, hey, uh, my hand's raised. I will help you. I will give you knowledge. I will get you the resources. We will do what we can to help you succeed. So I, I love what you guys are doing out there. Uh, Mike, if, if someone wants to get a hold of your company or get a hold of you, where should they go? Well, my email is mike.bets at bets1868.com. And uh, 1868 is the year we were founded. So uh, people ask often, what's that 1868? Yeah, that, that's the year <laughs> we were founded. We like to remember that. And um, and then, of course, we have a Facebook site, and you can find us on LinkedIn under Bet's Company. And, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Give me a call um, or email me. We will uh, help you around the country if you want to come out and visit any of these programs set up uh, visits for you actually maybe go with you and introduce you and you know kind of give a show and tell but again that that sold program that we did we left there leaving everybody a top 10 list uh in order of the things you need to do to build a program so um you know that would be something that you might want to watch and get that top 10 list uh, before you make the trip out. But seeing is believing. And, um, you know, we we have some really great programs that are working. Oh, by the way, one of the things I think I'm most proud about, and it, got, it comes back to Eric and the example that he sets, is he does on his own dime, with, you know, the advisory support, uh, but time, uh, having a graduation night just for his heavy truck graduates. And um, I've sat at the tables with the parents of these kids that are graduating. And these kids have already interned in the industry for two years during the school year while they're going to the program. So the industry has gotten to know the kids, the kids have gotten to know the industry. And in most cases, they've already been offered a job in the industry before graduation at above, at, at that something around $20 or more just for starting. And um, again, Eric um, has a ASE program with many of the students uh, leaving the program, graduating with as many as three to five uh, ASE industry recognized stackable certificates from engine to suspension, you name it, brake, safety. And um, so it's just, um, you know, it's really great. And we're just we're just getting started, Tyler. This is uh, it's all about continuous improvement, and we're really focused on electric now because we have so much electric in California because it's been mandated. And so there's not a school district that you go to or a municipality that you go to that isn't buying electric vehicles. And the reason for that is the state government um, allots funding to the districts to the communities the cities the schools that are moving in that direction and if you're not you're you get limited funds not the level of funds that 
the districts and municipalities that are going all in. Well, Mike, I, I know you've been working at BETS for 43 years, but please please don't retire anytime soon. The industry needs you is, is hopefully uh, what I want to get across here. It's been great having you on the show. Uh, again, thank you for everything you do for the industry. I'm sure your employees appreciate you. I know Eric Rubio talks highly of you and the, the whole Fresno uh, area around there. So it's been great to pick your brain for a little bit. Uh, any chance I get to talk to someone uh, of your caliber is is great. Um, and thank you too for inviting people the, to come out there to come check things out. I think what you guys have put together is, is a remarkable thing. And like you said, you, like you just ended, is continuous improvement. And I have no doubt what it looks like today. It'll look different tomorrow. And a lot of smart people out there working very, very hard to keep improving things. So uh, with all that said to our audience, I want to just say again, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Like, comment, share. All those things definitely help us. Reach out to Mike if you want to learn more. And remember, it's not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And hopefully you're learning here too. Family businesses, you got to adapt. You have to change. And you can have an impact on your industry. It all starts with somewhere. Talk to Mike. He's there to help. Thank you, everybody.